Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Dr. Kelly Jones. And this is Big. Strong. Yes. Welcome to Big Strong Yes, the show where we share our journey of reading three books that are inspiring us to embrace courage, creativity, and the call to adventure. Rising Strong by Dr. Brene Brown, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, and Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. Today's reading is Year of Yes, A Note About Time, Yes to More Year of Yes. Chapter 11, Yes to No, Yes to Difficult Conversations. And Chapter 12, Yes to People. And next week's reading is chapter 13, Yes to Dancing It Out with the Right People, chapter 14, Yes to Who I Am, and chapter 15, Yes to Beautiful. Go to chipperish.com and search Big Strong Yes Schedule to find all the information about what we're reading and when. All right. So we had a two-week break. We did. And and you kind of had a big homework assignment. I did. Am I <laughs> starting? Go? Okay, I guess you're I'm starting. starting. <laughs> yeah, I'm throwing you under the bus. You're going first. <laughs> That's all right. I don't mind. That's totally fine. Um, all right. So my homework it came out a couple weeks ago, and I was like, "Yeah, I've got power," you know, or whatever. I don't know what I said or why I said it. Maybe I was drunk. I don't know. Um, but so my homework was to define my power, right? And that was kind of tough, I think. I know that I have power and I have kind of an idea of what it is, but I'm essentially uncomfortable with it. I don't know if you can tell. I think I hide it really well. (laughs) (laughs) Hence the homework. There you go. Right. Um, But I mean, the thing is, like, it has to do with other people. And I have seen so much the dark side of that kind of power, both with my mother and with number two. I mean... The victim before me with number two told me once that he came to her and said, I can make other people do whatever I want them to do. Oh, God. It's a little creepy. And, you know, my mother, like, would just lie. I mean, I don't think that she meant, like, deliberately and consciously to manipulate people. She would just choose whatever reality suited her at the moment and then enforce it with such boldness that you were like, um... Okay, you know, because the thing is that when people lie that boldly, you know, most ordinary people who don't do stuff like that, look at that and they just, they can't believe it's so outrageous. They can't believe anybody would lie about that sort of thing. And then you kind of believe it. You know, it's just, it goes beyond your understanding. I mean, good God, take a look at our president who lies blatantly (laughs) and we have video of it. And yet there are still people who believe him the same way. There are still people who believe number two, like it's so bold that you think about it and you're like, well, who would possibly do these terrible things and then lie about it? You know, people have consciences. These people don't have consciences, you know? And so anyway, because I grew up like under such an environment of constant manipulation, I have never in my life wanted influence over anyone. I never wanted anyone to do anything just because I said so, you know, and the only time that I break this rule is with advice. Usually it has to be solicited. Although I have been known if somebody I love is in pain, I have been known to kind of step in. (laughs) Kelly is familiar with this part of my personality. I believe you call it mom voice, right? Um, Uh, Yeah. Mom voice. (laughs) (laughs) That's when I step in and I go in with the unsolicited advice, which you are always free not to listen to. And I always try to make it clear that you don't have to do what I say but please do what I say because you're hurting yourself, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So 
I do that a little bit. Um, but I've always been very careful about giving people around me their autonomy. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, like with the cats, I would never force the cats to like sit on my lap. I would mm-hmm. never force the cats to have me pet them. I would snap my fingers and if they wanted to come to me to pet them, then I would pet them. But even when I was a little kid with animals, I was always like, you have to have your autonomy, you know? And um, the thing is in college, you know, I went into a communication school and when you're in communications, you learn about all the different kinds of communication, you know, like fiction storytelling, nonfiction storytelling and persuasive storytelling, like PSAs and stuff like that. And I always hated the persuasive stuff. I wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I would just, you know, I would do like the the editing or the video, but I would not write those. Like they mm-hmm. made me so incredibly uncomfortable because I just never wanted to influence anyone's thinking or their decision making. But what I've come to realize is not that I have the power to manipulate people. I mean, I do. Like everybody does. Everybody has that power, but d- good, decent people don't use it, you know? Um, but that I do have a power to communicate with people and that power shows up in my writing. You know, I mean, I write books that make people laugh and make people cry. Like I do that, you know, I affect them in these ways, you know, and, you know, I talk to people, I make them laugh. This is the one power that I use all the time because I want to make people happy. And honestly, I want them to like me. You know, if you make people laugh, they like you. So yay, you know, Um, and I want to feel like I have value. And if I can make people happy, even for just a moment, then that gives me a value within the relationship. Like just being me is never enough. That's always been in my head, you know, so I have to do something. I have to give them some kind of, um, you know, some kind of service that sounds really, you know, transactional. And I don't really mean it that way, but you know what I'm saying? Like I have to do something to earn my place in every relationship. And so what I do is I make people happy. I cheer them up, that kind of thing, you know, which of course throughout my lifetime, I have taken to a very dark place by choosing people who could not be happy and trying every day to force them to be happy, you know? Um, So that was destined for failure. And yes, I've learned that lesson. I think Finally, I hope. Um, (laughs) But I'm an effective communicator and I've built communities around that communication. But I've always eventually turned away from those communities because I don't want power over people. You know, I don't want people to look up to me. I don't want them to do something just because I said so. I don't want that responsibility and I don't want to manipulate people. And so whenever community would form, I'd be kind of there sort of on the outskirts. I'd let the community be the community. Um, The only time I would come in and use my powers if something was getting toxic, then I try to like shut it down. But aside from that, like I generally withdrew from the communities that I led, you know, um, and eventually would always withdraw to the point where I was gone and the community could continue without me, you know. Um, But of course, as anyone who has listened to the most recent (laughs) Big Strong Yes episode has learned, I'm kind of turning a corner with this idea of using my power, you know, that, that if I'm careful about my power, if I use it thoughtfully, I can lead a community, I can teach, I can preach, you know, and I am a preacher. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, I've told you all I come from a long line of preachers, my maternal grandfather, my father. So I get this from both sides. Um, They were religious preachers. I'm not religious. So I never really thought of myself that way. Um, But I will tell you two things. From the time that I was in college, I have always had two strange bits of of weird knowledge about myself that never made any sense. Um, I knew that I would work in radio 
which made no sense to me because podcasts did not exist back then. I never worked at the radio station. Like in college, I always did everything in television. Everything I did was video. I never worked in audio. Um, But I always had this just knowledge that someday I was going to work in radio and I didn't know how. And then podcasts became a thing and that whole cleared itself up. I, you know, called my friend Cindy. <laughs> I was like, we're doing a podcast together. And boom, I've been doing it ever since the last, you know, 11 years of my life. And um, the other thing that I've always known is that I always knew that I would preach although I wasn't religious. So I was like, well, then obviously that's not going to happen, you know? And then a few months back, I was doing an episode of Prophecy Guys, um, which is a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast, um, look through, looking through this lens of theology and philosophy and they're, they're religious guys. Um, the, the hosts are Sam Cook and Jordan McGill, who are incredibly sweet. I had such a wonderful time talking to them. And if you guys are into Buffy, or even if you're not, I would really recommend listening to it because they talk about a lot of really interesting things in in general, really interesting philosophical discussions. Um, but anyway, as we talked, I started on one of my tears about storytelling and they opened this up for me. So I asked for permission to play this clip here. I'm going to go ahead and play it for you guys now because this is the moment. You know, I sound like I'm, I'm totally on it, but they said that and that was the moment that I realized what was happening and I just ran with it. Yeah, it's funny how you say you're not a religious person, but we have a phrase in our circles. Uh, we say that'll preach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm totally a preacher. I come from a long line of preachers, actually. My grandfather was a preacher. My father was a preacher before he became an atheist. Um, and and the thing is that I think that I think that there is I, I am a preacher like and I always felt like I would be, although I was never really religious. So I never really understood. But there was part of me that always kind of knew that I would be a preacher someday. And I think that what I'm doing is I'm just preaching the gospel of story and I'm preaching the gospel of humanity and of experience and of of permission to to love so yeah that'll preach right (laughs) it's so funny because they said that to me and it just clicked with me and it's when I listen to the clip I sound like I've had this knowledge about myself all along but until they said that to me I didn't it didn't occur to me (laughs) that I was a preacher until that moment you know um And so this week, I guested on Buffering the Vampire Slayer podcast, um, talking about Buffy, which was so much fun. And I can't even, like, I have to fangirl squeal. I just have to. Oh, my God. They're so wonderful. They are so wonderful. I love them so, amazing. so much with my whole heart. They are so lovely. Um, and I also did an episode of the Hallowed Ground uh, Storycast with our friends uh, Alan and Anya, um, talking about moonlighting. And in both of these instances, as I listened to myself this week... I got into that mode. Like I just, mm-hmm. you know, I got going. I preached. Yep. Like I even made a joke <laughs> on buffering about going door to door with brochures and spreading the good word of Buffy. Like this is <laughs> this is kind of where I am. And you and I were talking about it earlier in the week and you called it story hallelujah, right? Whenever yes, baby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> story hallelujah. Story is hallelujah. now my new favorite idea. Ever. Right. Um, and, and so like, I'm, I'm understanding this about myself um, and that, that I am doing this work. It's not religious work, but I think it's important work, you know, and I think it mm-hmm. speaks to a lot of the same things that religion does because story speaks to who we are at the core of who we are. And, and religion is storytelling, you know, to a great, great deal. Oh, yeah. So earlier this week, I had this experience at work where I met a preacher like me, 
Like she's not religious, you know, but she is a preacher. She's a woman I've greatly admired, you know, from a distance for a really long time. Um, but I hadn't had the chance to meet her yet until we just worked together on a project this week. And, um, you know, she started talking about the particular area of her preaching, which is related to mine, but a little bit different, you know. Um, and as she talked, like I felt this thing in my bones, what it was like hearing her get into this topic that she was passionate about. And it was elevating, you know. Mm-hmm. And then after the project was done, the two of us had this incredible conversation where we both totally got what the other was talking about. We each preached at each other. It's like 45 minutes of us just shooting this stuff back and forth, you know, kind of where, where our two, the Venn diagram of our two areas of passion sort of overlapped and we, we got into that. And, um, and that's the kind of preaching that I think that I do and that I want to do. It's, it's not manipulation, but it's elevation, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that this is why things have happened to me that don't necessarily happen to other people. I think that the work that I do is elevating and the people who see that in me, you know, they want to elevate that work, you know? But I've crawled away from that. Like I've crawled away from fame. I've crawled away from power. I don't want to influence anybody. I just want to be here in my quiet little corner doing my quiet little thing and have just enough people notice me that I can continue to do what I'm doing. (laughs) But like I don't I don't promote myself. You know, I'm terrible at self-promotion. And I think part of that is because I don't want that kind of success. Like I'm afraid of that kind of success. I'm afraid of that kind of I don't know, power, that kind of influence, you know? Um, And the thing is that I, if I continue to crawl away from this, you know, to kind of like stick myself in this corner, then I can't do the work. I can't elevate, you know? Um, And if I'm afraid of the dark side of that power, then I'm not trusting myself that I'm a decent and good person and that I won't do the things that my mother did. I won't do the things that number two has done. Like I would never do that, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just really have to trust myself that I'm not the kind of person who would bring that power to a dark place. So this woman I spoke to this week is, is much further along in her career than I am. And so I'm looking at her and I'm saying like, that's what I want my future to be. That's who I want to be. Like not necessarily the job that she does. I definitely do not want her job, but (laughs) her job is something she does wonderfully and I would ruin. Um, But like just that she, she has this, this platform and this space from which she can speak and she can influence people in such a really positive and wonderful way because she's passionate about what she does. She's passionate about the work, you know, and I absolutely love that. And I want to be like her. But she didn't get there by shrinking. She didn't get there by crawling in a corner. She got there by fighting and saying, I deserve this. I deserve this recognition. And that's what she got, you know. So now I'm kind of coming to terms with this and how strange it has been that there were two things that I have known about myself just quietly like had this knowledge since I was in college, both of which seemed impossible at the time, you know, when I had this idea and both of which happened, <laughs> you know, um, I'm a preacher, you know, and I think I'm a good one and I'm not going to manipulate anyone into being part of my flock. But if they want to follow me, if they want to listen to what I have to say, you know, if what I can tell them can elevate them as I elevate myself, then okay, then I think that that'll work. So my yes this week is a yes to power and a yes to trusting myself that I would never use it in a dark or harmful way. And I'm in. It'll preach. I'm a preacher. <laughs> That's my power. <laughs> Story, hallelujah. Story, hallelujah, baby. Story, hallelujah, baby. <laughs> this is this is fantastic. <laughs>
And I'm so proud of you. And oh, thank you. Like, I would never say that you are playing small or that you have played small. But I think when you think about expanding or leveling up, that mm-hmm. you're you're at the point that you can consciously choose to do that. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult thing for me. That's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a struggle yeah. because it's something that I have actively, I have actively cut my career off at a certain point. I don't want to get too big. And I think that's part of the reason, too, why at certain points in my life, I've stopped whatever I was doing that was working and started over again. Right. You know, partially because I like building things, um, but partially because I think there's a certain point where it's becoming too much about me. You know, Mm -hmm. it's becoming and I just all I want to do is do the work. But the thing is, is that part of preaching, part of this power is about communicating and that requires other people. So if I can do that and I can continue to elevate and then I have to learn to promote myself in a way that doesn't feel gross, you know, and um, and reach out for more people. Because if, if I really believe that what I have to say has value and I do, yeah. then I want to reach people with that message. Absolutely. So I need to learn how to do that. I'm not I'm not saying that I'm entirely comfortable with it, but that's my power. That's who I am. And I'm going to not shrink away from who I am anymore. Fantastic. So that's me. That was great. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. It's your turn. What was your homework? So my homework um, was a little more fun. (laughs) (laughs) It was to design my tattoo. Mm -hmm. And so it's a work in progress. Mm -hmm. Um, I am not a graphic designer by any stretch of the imagination. Like on the multiple intelligences scale, Mm -hmm. I am all linguistic and not at all visual. (laughs) So... This is not like a design I can draw or even visualize like without the help of Google Images and Pinterest and Instagram. So thanks, Internet. <laughs> um, and I mean, my God, there are some amazingly talented people out there. Mm-hmm. So now I have an inspiration folder full of image ideas on my computer. And so to start this process, I thought about the symbols that are important to me mm-hmm. and the reasons that I wanted a tattoo in the first place. And the first half of that was super fun. The second half of that, not so much. (laughs) So (laughs) I spent some quality time chasing rabbit holes of curiosity about typography and lettering and calligraphy and the difference between typography and lettering because there is a difference. And Mm -hmm. I learned all this stuff and it was awesome. Oh, I love Um, that. That's so much fun. I love getting into those kind of rabbit holes where you're just learning all of this stuff. I'm already a typography geek. (laughs) So like... Getting into the difference between hand lettering mm-hmm. and typography and like all this. Oh, my God. That's Celtic awesome. letter art. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean. That's amazing. Wow. It was great. So um, I made a list of symbols that are meaningful to me. So I came up with a crescent moon, stars, ocean waves, clefts and musical notes, mm-hmm. clouds to symbolize wind and thunder, spirals to symbolize storms, Celtic knots, and the letter E. Ooh. So I have a list now. Mm -hmm. I have some narrowing of the field, which is good because there's a hundred other things that could go in there too. Um, And there are too many meaningful words to choose from. Mm -hmm. Like when I started thinking about words, (laughs) (laughs) my whole body would be covered and there would still not be enough. Mm -hmm. And and I did jokingly think about um, actually a reference list. Oh, yeah. So that it would have like author and year, author and year, author and year, and each one would be a citation (laughs) to an important work. But that would take my entire body also. (laughs) So I just. That's okay. For now, I'm going to keep it to one letter. Mm -hmm. 
And so focusing on the letter E was great. Mm -hmm. E is significant to me because it's the fifth letter of the alphabet and five is my number. Mm -hmm. And there's an E in my first name and my last name and two in my middle name. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And it, yeah. And in a certain script, E can also look like the treble clef. Yes. Or a spiral mm -hmm. or an ampersand. Yeah. And I love the idea of yes and. Yes. You know, mm -hmm. so if I'm designing a tattoo to symbolize my power or my particular style of badassery, mm -hmm. E can also stand for encouragement, expression, empowerment, enchantment, eros, education, expertise, efficacy, earnestness, eagerness, enthusiasm, enthrallment, encouragement, and excitement. These are all great words Those that represent are all ideas. You. Right? Like oh all the God, stuff I, I love. love that. So it's a great letter. Mm -hmm. E is also in the phrase, choose magic. Mm -hmm. And I believe there is real power in choice. Mm -hmm. So with this list of symbols and some borrowed visual inspiration, I've started working on the tattoo design. Oh, my God. I love it. But then it turned into two. <laughs> so Twice as fun. Twice as fun. <laughs> so the first is a scripty letter E decorated with symbols. Mm -hmm. That is from my right forearm, oh. close to my wrist. Mm-hmm. And the second is an encircled crescent moon and ocean wave for the nape of my neck. Oh, I love that. So you'll only see that one when my hair is up. But progress has been made, uh -huh. <laughs> which is great. Um, but thinking about the why of wanting the tattoos was a lot more difficult. Yeah. Because it's really ironic. I hate needles. You do. I like. You I super hate, hate needles. needles. I hate them. And I hate pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's very counterintuitive <laughs> to be like, I'd like to go to a tattoo shop, please. Um, but I've been drawn to tattoos since I was about eight years old because they just seem sort of magical. Yeah. And in the growing dislike for the way that my body looks, that desire for a tattoo sort of shifted mm -hmm. from decoration to a way to cover up the scar on my arm. Yeah. Because that was my first thought was, okay, I'm going to get a tattoo to go on the scar. Turns out you don't tattoo directly over scar tissue. It doesn't oh, work right. that way. Yeah, I guess um, I guess you couldn't. Yeah. Right. So I, I went in hoping to find a way to make something I see as incredibly ugly, maybe a little less so. Mm -hmm. But I really hate that idea because it's about hiding. Yeah. And it's about diminishing instead mm -hmm. of celebrating, you know. And that scar on my arm is not the only one I have. Mm -hmm. And so I made a list. <laughs> it's also kind of Did you kind define of your scars? Have you done that? Yes. Like, <laughs> and a friend of ours actually gave me the idea of connecting them all like a constellation. Oh, yeah. Which I thought was kind of so beautiful. beautiful. Right? But my body is a collection of scars. So there's one on the top of my mouth. There's one on the inside of my lower lip. That scar on my right arm is huge and jagged. There's a big scar on my right hip. There's four on my stomach. There's one under my left breast and another on my left toe. Mm. And I carry these scars with me every minute of every day. I walk with them, dance with them, work with them. And I'm supposed to think they're ugly mm -hmm. because our culture tells me they're ugly. And in addition to legions of stretch marks and a good many freckles, I now have these scars all over me, mm -hmm. marking me making my skin so less than perfect that the thought of being flawless or beautiful just seems laughable to me. But maybe the scars aren't ugly. You know, maybe they are beautiful. Mm -hmm. Each one is from an injury or a surgery. Each marks hurt and healing. And each one speaks to pain that I have overcome. Mm -hmm. So what does that make me if not strong? These lines carved from living, now faded to white and pale, pale pink, 
are visual reminders that I know how to fall and stand the holy fuck back up again. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> you know? And I've always wanted tattoos to, as a way to carry meaningful symbols on my body in celebration of ideas that I love. I want to be well and truly inked. Mm-hmm. But maybe in a way I already am because yes. I carry these symbols of strength on my body. I am well and truly scarred. And so now I want the tattoos to celebrate and honor the symbols and ideas and words that matter to me, not to cover up or hide any of the many flaws on my body, because the flaws and scars are part of me too. Oh. And God damn it, I am beautiful. Yes, you are. Good because you, you make me say it. Miss, I'm I don't want to wield my power, but I'm going to make people say, and I am beautiful all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I am a benevolent dictator. <laughs> Do we need to go over this again? I am using my power for good. So I think that's wonderful. I love, too, I love so much that you get this assignment, right? Which is an essentially visual assignment for a podcast. So I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> right? <laughs> now, but, dear listener, visualize uh, with me. <laughs> exactly. Visualize. Well, we'll have them in the show notes. You, you had a couple of ideas of things that you were bouncing off of. Maybe we'll put those up in the show notes so people can see. Um, but, you know, you took this thing that was essentially just, you know, design a tattoo, right? And you made it into this wonderful reflection, this poetry, the way that you express yourself, the way that you think is so incredibly beautiful. And as you're saying this stuff, you know, I'm just listening to you and being like, God damn it. Like this woman is amazing. You know, oh my God. <laughs> like the way that you're able to take everything that comes at you and, and really think deeply about it and, and philosophize about it. I think it's such a wonderful part of your character. And I love all the words that you came up with. And I love the idea. I got to say, I love the idea of you having a citation. Like, I, know, I think I might have I to rethink that. To I do have another wrist. You know, I'm like. just I'm just saying like, you know, to do the, these first. And if the pain isn't too much and the needles aren't too much and it isn't too traumatic for you, um, the idea of you of you having a citation on you would be fantastic. <laughs> like a reference maybe, list. <laughs> maybe once, you know, once you've published a book, then you can cite it on your body. That would be great. Oh, my God. You don't cite yourself. Well, I okay. guess in academic circles, you cite sure yourself. Sure you do. But... I don't care if anybody else does it. <laughs> I don't care what the other kids do, Ms. Jones. I'm sorry, Dr. Jones. Jones, comma, 2018, asterisk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I really love the idea of carrying citations on my body. And the other phrase I have really thought about was define your terms. Oh, yeah. Um, that I might put that somewhere that might only be seen in by, certain circumstances. By very particular, very special <laughs> yeah. people. Sure, I can see that. Uh, I love yeah. it. I think love that might it. be fun too. So the problem now is this huge list of <laughs> right. tattoos that oh, I would like I in it. many different Start places. Start inking, so, baby. Start yeah. inking. Do it. So we'll see how it goes. But it was fun happens. homework. So yeah, good. Thank you. And thank you for all the, the kind words about my writing. You know, I'm sitting over here just dying and fidgeting and blushing and but thank you hell no hell no <laughs> hey i said thank you You're this good. is progress it is good i'm sorry i'm sorry i don't mean to i don't mean to poo poo your progress you're doing really really well but yeah you're an amazing writer and one of these days one of these days as god is my witness 
I'm going to say, wow, that was great. And you're going to say without thinking about it and without cringing and anything. Yeah, I'm a great writer. Like one of these days, Dr. Oh Jones, my God. that is the <laughs> one thing before I die that I want to happen. <laughs> well, I kind of had an experience like that with you this week. Yeah. With you saying something that I wanted to hear. So yes. <laughs> you can talk about that in your reflections. How are your reflections this week? Well, it has been a strange couple of weeks. Um, it's it's mostly been in the last week. Like, it, it, this is going to be the craziest story and everybody is going to laugh at me. But I had this experience that was so transformative. <laughs> <laughs> And ever since the moment that I had that experience, everything has changed. It is weird. It is weird. All right. It so is wonderful. It is wonderful, but it's weird. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell the story. Um all right, so so basically, like y'all know, you've been with me for the past year and, and like I have been in a state of just constant panic and sadness and depression and struggling just to get through every day and putting on the athlete talk and like, you know, trying to pretend to be okay when I'm like really super not okay and this whole thing. Like y'all have heard me, wah wah wah, right? This whole thing, right? So anyway, last week, uh, well, a couple of weeks ago, I, I went to the eye doctor, right? Mm-hmm. And I went in and I said, I want these multifocal contacts, right? Which are these contacts, like the old people know what I'm talking about, right? Where where there's a certain time you hit over 40. And and I'm sorry, my darling, Dr. Jones, is probably going to happen to you. Um, but basically <laughs> where you can't read up close anymore, like you have to hold everything out at arm's length and you can't see it. But I've already got bad eyesight, like I've already got contacts in. So when I have to put reading glasses on over my contacts, a hell no, right? So, um, so I start looking into this stuff and I'm like, okay. I want to get multifocal contacts. So I make an appointment. I go in to see the doctor. I sit down and I'm like, I want these multifocal contacts. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. Here's what we're going to do for you. The multifocal contacts are really difficult for blah, blah, blah reasons or whatever. And he's going through this whole thing. And people take forever to get used to them and yada, 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 right? And he goes, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you this monovision thing. I'm going to give you one contact that corrects for one type of vision for far sight, you know, and one contact that corrects for nearsighted. So that eventually your brain just knows to read whichever eye is, oh, is the one, right? So, yes, this is a thing that people do, right? And I actually have a friend who was born this way naturally. One of her eyes has has nearsight and one of her eyes has farsight. And she's been doing this her whole life. And it's great. She's like, I'm fine, you know. Um, But it annoys me. Like, I can't stand it. So so they gave me this and I was like, all right, I'll try it. Right. So I go about my business for a couple of weeks and they place an order for these contacts for me and charge me for the contacts, even though I'm not sure I like them. I still have to come back in for my fitting and make sure that everything's working all right. And they go through this whole thing. So then the day of my um, my appointment comes up and I call them and I'm like, hey, um, I can't make my appointment. I need to reschedule. But here's the thing. Like, I don't like these contacts. I want the multifocals. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, but we've got to order them. We've got to do so basically it was like, they didn't want to do paperwork. They didn't want to, have to <laughs> order the contacts. It was a pain in the butt. And so he was trying to talk me into another contact. But I was like, no, I'm going to advocate for myself. I want to try these multifocals. And if they don't work, if they're terrible, fine. But I want to try them. I want to see if they work. I want to give it a shot. I'm not enjoying this monovision solution, right? So they're like, okay, so like a week later, these contacts come in, right? And that was this week. Mm-hmm. And I went in 
and I got the contacts and I put them in and they are perfect. I have <laughs> no adjustment. The moment I put them in my eyes, I'm like, I can see up close. I can see far away. I can see this. I can see that. And they're like, well, your middle vision is going to have a problem. You know what doesn't have a problem? My middle vision. It's fine. I can see everything, <laughs> right? I love them. They don't give me headaches the way that the monovision were. Like, they're absolutely perfect. And I got to go in in a couple of days and tell the doctor that, yes, I like these contacts. Order me some more now, you know, and take Mm -hmm. care of all of that. But I was so like, I came back from that appointment. (laughs) And I was so pleased with myself because I had advocated for myself, which is something that I never, never, never do, you know. And um. And it was this huge thing. And I remember coming back in and like, you know, we've been doing this thing. We've been like talking about this idea of, you know, falling in love with ourselves, right? That the, like the last thing I need in my life right now is, is a man, like aside from some very, very basic physical reasons, like there's just, there's no reason why I need a man in my life aside from that. Right. And I'm nowhere near ready for any kind of relationship. I don't want to let any man into my life at this point. So I'm just kind of living like a nun for the moment, but, but I do feel like this need to be loved. And so like my option is loving myself. And we've been having a lot of these discussions, you know, and after I advocated for myself, I sent you and our, our yoga goddess friend a text and I said, I could fall in love with this chick. Like, you know, yeah. I could fall in love with this woman who advocates for herself and goes in and gets the right contacts, you know, <laughs> and I swear to God. And then from that moment, <laughs> like, it was so weird stuff just started happening, like weird, like good things that I did nothing to do, like just falling into my lap, like constantly one after the other, like good thing, good thing, good thing, like these little tiny things, except one of them was huge. and It was very unexpected. It was really, really great. But you know, it was just like everything was coming up Lonnie all of a sudden, like, you know, my contacts (laughs) were great and all this stuff was happening and things were great at work. And then um, I met this other preacher you know, and I was completely lit up by that experience. And, and part of the thing that I was doing is I was shooting a video, which I have not done like in a long time. I've had other people like aside from what I do at Chipperish, you know, other people do the lighting, other people do the shooting of the camera, other people do everything. I don't do it. You know why? Because it's it's harrowing because television production hates you because everything goes wrong. <laughs> it always goes wrong. Right. And well, I had this very important person that I need to do this video, you know, with and I was sure it was all going to go wrong. Everything went perfectly. It looked gorgeous. Everything was great. The audio was great. The lighting was great. Everything was great. I did it by myself. So I was so proud about that. Right. And it was just like, everything was working. Things that I didn't expect to work were working for me. It's just been crazy. And so right after that, you know, talking to this, this other preacher woman, right, Kelly calls me on the phone, (laughs) as she does (laughs) at the beginning of every interaction, because this woman is so like, careful to make sure like, I'm doing okay, because I have not been doing okay, for a really (laughs) long time, right? (laughs) So at the at the opening of this this conversation, you asked me, you're like, how are you doing? And for the first time in forever, completely honestly, I was like, I am great, right? I was yes. so happy. <laughs> and it has been like two weeks with very little panic. I won't say no panic, but very little mm-hmm. panic and very little sadness. I won't say none, but you know, very little. And mm-hmm. I have energy. I'm able to work again. And the work is good. Like I'm doing yeah. good work, you know, and I'm still recovering. Like I don't expect that this is all over now. Everything's great. And I'm cured, you know, um, but it's not even just that I'm me again, you know, like I think for the first time in my entire life, 
I am truly me, something that I I don't think I've ever really been. You know, everything I've done up to now, I've done under the hindrance of all this weight that I've been carrying, the shame, the abuse, you know, a belief that somehow there was something just essentially wrong with me. And I have never risen above like that before. I've always been, you know, slightly drowning in that my entire life. So everything I've done has been colored by that and weighted down by that. And I'm not sure if I'm rising clearly out of it now, or just having a good week. But whatever it is, I don't care. I'll take it. I will take it. I'm feeling better. I'm feeling stronger. I'm feeling clearer than I have in so long. And I'm just going to run with that. I mean, I could, it could go bad again. I have this deep seated fear that everything is going to go horribly, horribly wrong um, again. And and I'm going to be right back down in in just the thick of that misery again. But for this moment, and it's been like a week, which is the longest Mm -hmm. I've gone in like forever, you know, of actually feeling good. Usually it's a couple hours here and there and that's it, you know. Um, So I'm, I'm running with it. I'm accepting it. I am gratefully taking this gift from the universe and being like, all right, you know, and it all started because I told my doctor that no, I want to try these contacts. I was so (laughs) pleased with myself for advocating for myself. Um, That, yeah, so that's, that was, that was my, my week. (laughs) Which is so So wonderful. It's so great. No, it's so great. And it brings to mind, like, so when you were talking, I thought of two things, one funny and one Hopefully insightful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, when you're talking about television production, and you were so funny on the phone <laughs> after that, <laughs> you're like, television production hates you. Yes. And all I could think of was Elizabeth Gilbert and the professor with the environmental science students yes. going, You love television production. Does television production love you? No, it does not. No, it does not. No, it does not. <laughs> I, I'm no, the exact opposite. I'm sure that woman is lovely. But no, television. I've been teaching television production for years. For years now, I've been teaching television production. And the first thing I teach my students every day is television production hates you. <laughs> you have to have a redundant like you have to have redundant systems in place to cover everything because your microphone is going to fail your sd card is going to fail something's going to go wrong everything is going to go wrong make sure you've got backups on backups on backups of everything make sure that you are double checking everything because television production hates you so yes yeah. that woman that i appreciate it like the universe <laughs> the universe may love her the the earth may love her writing may love elizabeth gilbert <laughs> television production hates everyone <laughs> it's just true it just made me laugh <laughs> so funny but then i got to thinking because like you're kind of joking about hey this contact lens thing and it but right, actually it's so silly but if you think about it uh-huh. right mm-hmm. it helps you see more clearly yeah like literally yeah <laughs> see more clearly yeah and so you're you advocated for clarity yeah and I personally believe clarity is powerful and clarity is holy and clarity is worth mm-hmm. fighting for. Yeah. And you did that for yourself. Yeah. No, I did. I did. And you know what? Right now I'm looking at my computer screen and I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm feeling really good about that, especially because they were so discouraging. They're like, no, these contacts, they're just, they're such a problem and they cause, and I put them in and the second I put them in, I'm like, nope, they're great. We're doing this thing. You know? <laughs> They were like, it's going to take you a couple days to get used to it. You know, it might not be safe to drive home. You might have to take them out, put your glasses on. I was like, nope, I'm fine. 
it's great. So yeah, so it it is it is incredibly silly. But um but yeah, like but there's something about fighting for myself, which is something I don't ever do. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and saying yeah. I deserve to have this thing that I want. And even if the multifocals had turned out to be terrible, the fact that I said no, I demand this thing, like that to me was such a huge corner to turn. Well, hell it's yeah. so silly. You know, it's I'm not thinking, silly. Like, I have it's to not. tell you the story about me and my eye doctor. Like, you know, it's so <laughs> It is so patently ridiculous, but it was, it was a huge moment. So like if anybody out there can get something out of that, it's not about the contact lenses. It's about <laughs> saying, no, that's not good enough for me, which we're going to talk about a little bit when we get into the reading. But first, I want to hear about your reflections. Well, I wanted to cheer and scream with joy and mark the day in the record of the world <laughs> when I asked you, how are you? And you said, I'm doing great. Right, but I didn't, you <laughs> like, are my way. I'm okay. <laughs> this, this was a good fucking day, y'all. <laughs> like, my heart expanded and lit up Aww. like a meteor shower from hearing real happiness in your voice. Oh, thank you. And I wanted so badly to match your energy with my reflection this week. You know, Mm -hmm. I wanted to be super, like, have some kind of, I don't know, integrative, happy explosion. Right. Like, I don't know. If my miserable explosive integration was contagious, maybe my happiness could be contagious too. That would have been lovely. (laughs) That would have been great. Yeah. (laughs) Because we're getting so close to the end of the book and so close to the end of BSY. God, I'm going to miss the show more than I can even begin to express. I know. And like, I would love to reach some kind of finish line in synchronized harmony, like simultaneous (laughs) idea gathering, right? (laughs) Some concrete evidence of leveling up in badassery. Yeah. But real life and the real lifelong learning curve and real emotions don't work that way. You know, they really don't. And I think that you're about to go into this thing, but I just want to say, like, it's okay that I mean, I was really certain, really certain that we were going to get to the end of BSY and I was going to be the same miserable Eeyore that I crawled into this podcast (laughs) being. And let's say we got a couple more weeks. That shit can still happen. I'm not taking anything off the table at this point. Um, But I think that sometimes, especially like with a lot of these self-help books, right? We read them and we're like, you know, somebody starts out and everything's bad and it's terrible and they change their life and everything's great. And at the end, they've crossed this finish line. And it feels like if we haven't crossed that finish line at the end of whatever the project is that we're doing, that somehow we failed, you know? And so I want you to be happy. I want so badly to like have you be like, I'm great and have a day like that. Like, you know, like Mm -hmm. I had that was really, really good and positive and, and cheerful and all that kind of stuff. But that you're not there yet is not a failure. And if anybody out there is listening to this and feels like, well, I'm not there yet, you know, baby, I might not be there either. Next week, I could have a terrible time. Who the hell knows? Like, I I honestly don't know. Um, But but that's okay, because it's always a process. And it doesn't matter when you get there. The fact is, you're always moving toward it. So I didn't want to interrupt your, you know, your reflections. But I just want to say, like, nobody who isn't having a great day show up in the last, you know, the last few minutes of the story, the way the sun always comes out at the end and everything's great and everything's fixed forever. It's not fixed forever for me. You know, I had a couple of good days and that's great. And you're going to have amazing days coming up for you. And so is everybody listening. Um, But the fact that it's not here yet is in no way like a failure or a bad thing. 
Right. And, and I actually think it's just a normal thing. Yeah, I mean, that's just absolutely. kind of how, how life goes. And, mm-hmm. um, but when I got ready to write the reflection, I thought I have, I have two choices here, mm-hmm. right? I can fake it right. <laughs> or I can write the real, the real week. Um, and I don't fake things anymore. That's right, baby. So <laughs> I, I wrote the thing yes. like the way that it really is. Um, which is so interesting, even mm-hmm. just to think that I'm now thinking of BSY as writing, because like it just so much has changed since the beginning, yes. you know, for, for when we first started this. <laughs> um, I mean, I have opened up uh, a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Kind of, you know, layers falling away as mm-hmm. I've shared more and more of myself on the show. And um, while that is empowering and healing and magical in a lot of ways, it has also opened me up to some new pain and, and also plucked me back down in an arena of old pain and current mm-hmm. pain that I still have to deal with. And mm-hmm. so I've made a lot of changes in my life, mm-hmm. mostly for the better, but there's a whole lot of work to do. And chasing authenticity and creativity, joy, awe, and wonder with wild abandon is going to require a lot more change. Yeah. And I mean like the hard, ugly, scary kind. Mm-hmm. And so I've gained clarity and a stronger sense of myself and my mm-hmm. heart. But sometimes there's a high price to pay for clarity. Yeah. So <laughs> rumbling and reckoning with the idea of badassery, which was the catalyst for all of Big Strong Yes. Mm-hmm. And the golden thread woven through all three of our books, yeah. the state to which I strive. <laughs> and for the longest time, I defined badassery as strong. Mm-hmm. But the word strong is problematic for me in a lot of ways, and it always has been. Because I will say, I am strong. I have become a strong woman, but I was never supposed to grow up to be any such thing. I was raised to subvert my will to others, to be a good girl, and do as I was told, to control my mind and my emotions at all times, to keep my expectations low. (laughs) Not to think too hard or ask too many questions Mm -hmm. or push back against the preaching and believing and fake certainty and morals and values that fed me till I was old enough to throw out the damn Kool-Aid and figure out my own drink of choice, Mm -hmm. which is truth in a bottle, right? A wider worldview, a deeper understanding, a need for clarity and honesty and critical thought and citations. A genuine appreciation for magic and words and love and this fierce curiosity to learn as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck the Kool-Aid and the overly sweet tea. I want water. Rushing, powerful, clear, and real. And if you want to try and baptize me, that water damn well be muddy. <laughs> like, <laughs> because these days, my drink of choice is as strong as I am. Mm-hmm. Whiskey, neat. Not as strong. You know? <laughs> and I will say... I am strong. Mm-hmm. I have carried enough shame to break a person. I've carried a baby and I've carried the burden of being the head of household and being the breadwinner and being both the mom and the dad. And I've carried enough pain to drag me down crawling. I carry regret that's too big to wrap my arms around. And I carry loss and hurt right now because mm-hmm. I also carry love that can only be carried and held. And the sadness of it is like a crater in me. Yeah. And so I feel this this conflict, right, of being in that space and also being on this this show because how can I be an encouraging badass when I still fall into sadness so deeply, you know, and when I cry so much now <laughs> and when I ache and carry that aching with me, 
Like, there's just no badassing my way out of it. Mm-hmm. So I got to thinking about this and thought, well, maybe carrying heartache is another kind of scar. And I just keep wearing it until I'm used to seeing it on my body. Mm-hmm. But I say I'm strong because I have data that support that conclusion. Like, <laughs> you know, I have carried things and I have carried on and stood on my own and done the work. And I'm still standing. Mm-hmm. But heartache makes me feel weak, weighted down, as if I'm trying to touch the bottom of the ocean and have belted on a heavy anchor to keep me heading down, even when my lungs are full of air, like swimming against the tide. Mm -hmm. But how can I put badassery on one shoulder and swagger on the other when heartache has his arms fully wrapped around me? Because I don't know if I can carry this. Mm -hmm. I am strong, but I'm afraid this heartache might be stronger than I am. You know, mm-hmm. and in this way, strong means numb, mm-hmm. right? Like carrying on in spite of pain, standing back up after a fall, no matter how much it hurts, <laughs> forcing myself to focus and do the things that have to be done, even if there are tears rolling down my face. Mm-hmm. But strong does not feel like badassery. I don't know how to make that leap yet. Mm-hmm. So being open to the pain of heartbreak, not locking all the tears in the crate and sinking that thing to the bottom of the ocean, like... That's a big change for me, (laughs) but it it makes me feel vulnerable. It doesn't make me feel like a badass. So I'm on the search for my swagger. Mm -hmm. And I think I have to define my own badassery, like really analyze it, find a way to appreciate my strengths without falling back into strong and numb mode Mm -hmm. because survival mode is not badassery. Yeah. So here I am near the end of this run, but also right back at the beginning, (laughs) right? (laughs) Me in the arena, Wanting to dance with magic and badassery and love and more open than I was before, but navigating by moonlight without a clear sense of direction. Mm -hmm. And this, I believe, is what it means to have faith in the universe. Mm -hmm. I'm not always on good speaking terms with the universe. Sometimes (laughs) that trickster is a motherfucker who messes with me. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Oh, hallelujah, baby. I hear (laughs) you. Story, hallelujah. This fucking podcast. This is what I say all the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But... In this surge of badassery and swagger and that lovely trickster energy with clarity in my heart, I will say once again, this is what I want. Mm-hmm. Love, creativity, badassery, and magic. So I'll keep standing and tell the universe, bring it on, baby. Right. <laughs> oh, God, honey. Okay. Now, one of the things that I want to say is that what you just did there is the most fucking badass thing. <laughs> like. <laughs> Sadness writing and the words, <laughs> writing the words, saying the words, <sighs> speaking to the universe, standing up and saying, this is what I want. This is what you cannot knock me down. Um, sadness and badassery are not mutually exclusive. Being able to yeah. face your sadness, being able to sit with it instead of locking it up in a crate and throwing it to the bottom of the ocean. That is fucking badass as hell. All of that, everything that you just did is the very definition of badassery because you're facing the things that are painful. You're facing the things that are scary. You're allowing yourself to be afraid. You're allowing yourself to be sad. The strength that takes is phenomenal. Strength isn't just pretending that nothing bothers you. You know, strength is when things bother you, you keep the fuck going. (laughs) Like that is incredible. And I think that you are defining badassery in a way that is truly accessible 
Because most people defining it through this idea of this, you know, just indefatigable, you know, store of strength and, and stoicism and, you know, stiff upper lip, that is not badassery. That's, no, that's not. cowardice. That's pretending. That's fake. Mm-hmm. Like what you're doing right now, that's badass as fuck. So <laughs> well, I just you. want you to know that I love everything that you wrote and I think it's beautiful. I reject the premise of some of it. <laughs> I reject only the, the premise that it is not badass <laughs> because that is totally badass. And, you know, and I'm, I'm sorry that it's hard and I know that it's so sad, but like, you know, you kind of, and I think this is something that I've, because all of those weeks, right? Every week we would come to pick strong. Yes. Every day you would ask me how I was, I'm okay. You know, um, <laughs> And I came in here, even though I wanted to present a happy space, I wanted to present, you know, positivity and humor and yay, go get them girl and everything's great, you know, and I didn't and it made me really uncomfortable um, being that sad for that long in public and every week coming back to this microphone and saying, yeah, everything still sucks, you know, Um, and not being able to to be funny and crying in front of thousands of people. Like, you know, (laughs) all of that was really, really difficult for me. Um, But I think that because I allowed myself to feel the sadness until it was used up, you know, and that took a long time. And I'm not saying that the sadness isn't there anymore, that there isn't any more for me to, to me, for me to feel. I'm sure that there is. Um, But there's, there was a point where it just stopped feeling so strong and I think it was because I allowed it its space you know I didn't try to like do this fake badassery with it this pretend strength you know I actually sat with my sadness and and let it you know kind of have its way with me for a while you know (laughs) um as much as that isn't as fun as it sounds um and uh It's definitely not as fun. It's definitely not as fun as it sounds. No. But I think that, yeah, allowing that space for the sadness, allowing the sadness to be, allowing yourself to feel sad and not demanding of yourself that you be happy or, you know, pretend to be happy or whatever. I think that that's that's really hard. And I think that that's how you get to the place that you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. And you you told me to use the sadness up, like to use it. Yes. And it really got me thinking because Mm -hmm. like one of the, I don't know, one of the effects of this particular heartbreak or whatever is I haven't written um, since some of this stuff happened, which is back in November. I Mm -hmm. haven't written um, nothing. I mean, not creative writing. I haven't written anything. Mm -hmm. I haven't been able to go back into that space because it hurts. Mm -hmm. And I think channeling some of the writing into BSY has been helpful. Um, God knows I have written enough shitty first drafts to (laughs) paper the planet. (laughs) Um, but I haven't let myself lean back into writing. Mm-hmm. And when you said to me, you know, use the sadness, like use it. Mm-hmm. That was the only way I could think of doing that. Wow. And so I think that I, I think I'm going to have to turn back into writing, even though it's painful now in a way that it wasn't before. Oh, yeah. I haven't been able I to think, write creatively in right? such a long time. And it is, yeah. it's scary. The idea of going back into the work, you know, into the writing, into the creative writing. Um, Because I think that whenever you're writing creatively, you always use 
what you've got. And that means that you have to face what you've got. I mean, the second Lucy March book that I wrote Mm -hmm. is about a sociopath. Yeah. I knew, you know, and at the end of that book, I had this wish fulfillment. She magically returned his empathy and his conscience to him, you know, at the end of the book. And I read that recently without, I had no idea, you know, when I wrote it and, and until I, I listened to that book, I listened to it on, on audio, um, and realized that I had been writing and he's British. Like, I mean, Jesus Christ, I was basically putting a flag down and being like, Hey, pay attention to me, you know? Um, and, uh, and so having written that book, having gone through that, um, and knowing that all that pain that I had was in that book, you know, we put that into the book and, and then in a certain way, even when we don't want to see it consciously, we're still facing all of those things in those, in those stories. And it can be really scary to go into a creative place when you're feeling, you know, so intensely all of these like really unpleasant things, but maybe, maybe going back in, will use it in a positive way for you. Maybe I should go back in too. I was thinking that too, actually. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I have a feeling we might have something to talk about when it comes to homework. But for right now, uh-huh. we're an hour into this podcast and we haven't oh even talked God. about the book that the podcast is supposed to be about. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we have yes to more year of yes, right? Which is the first thing, this note about time, right? Mm-hmm. You know, she reached the end of her year of yes and she was not ready to stop. And on page 208, Shonda says, yes, by the way, for those of you who've just completely lost track, we're doing Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. Actually, <laughs> that is something that we're talking about in this podcast. <laughs> um, but on page 208, she says, what would happen if I gave up again? Who would I become? How long would it take me to begin to climb again? Would I even have it in me to begin to climb again? Or would that be my ending? I'm not ready for that. I can't end. This is not the end. This isn't the finish line. I am unfinished. And I thought this was so wonderfully expressed. You know, the clear, easy narrative, right, for this thing is I did it in a year, right? You know, and she could have lied. None of us would have known. We would have been like, fine, the year's up. It makes such a nice, tidy. I mean, look at all the episodes or the seasons of Buffy, all the all the Harry Potter books, right? It's one year. Everything happens in a year. It's all nice and it's all cleaned up in May, right? You know, and so (laughs) she has this like clear, easy narrative of one year saying yes, change my life, the end, moving on. Everything's great, right? And instead, she makes this choice at this point in the book to allow this to be messy. Yes. (laughs) She says yes to messy, you know, which has recently become a thing for me, right? Um, You know, I do these podcasts. I do lots of podcasts, as everybody who listens here knows. I like talking about things. I like presenting these ideas for people. I love doing this work. But part of, you know, producing something, part of of doing this kind of work is having a regular schedule so people know when they can expect your show, right? You know, and getting one episode of each show out every single week is important to that predictability, to building up audience, to all that kind of stuff. And I've been working myself for the past year into an exhaustion trying to meet that weekly schedule, which more often than not, I couldn't. And when I couldn't, I felt horrible and guilty and like this big failure, right? 
And then I took some time off at Christmas. You know, I had my explosive integration and all of the stuff that came out around that. Um, and I lost my ability to do the work for, you know, a few more weeks. And I realized, you know, I can't do everything on a nice, neat weekly schedule. And it's making me nuts. But the reality of it is like, I am one person, like one person with a full-time job that is not producing podcasts, right? And on the side, I am producing podcasts and videos with very little help, you know? I mean, and let's be clear, part of the reason I don't have help is because I want things done my way. And it's not that people don't try to help me. (laughs) (laughs) I I had a student who was working with me last semester and I gave her almost nothing to do because I was like, nope, I'm controlling this. You know, I'm doing this now, right? <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm saying that like, there's still work to be done on me. You know, there's still work that I need to do. And I'm going to look into hiring help when I can, but you know, I'm kind of a control freak. So I'm dealing with that. I would need somebody really, really good at editing, somebody who can work with video and really good is also really expensive. So that's going to take some time. But recently I notified all of my patrons who are the people who pay for the work that I do, you know, so those are the people that I feel beholden to, um, that I wasn't going to be able to keep a regular weekly schedule with most of the shows, the big, strong, yes, we can do. It is so easy. You're so great. Like we almost (laughs) never have outtakes. I basically slap two pieces of audio together and boom, but like videos and and things (laughs) that have more, you know, involved editing, I can't do every week. And, um, and the thing is, is that like, I got not a word of complaint, just complete support, love and appreciation for what I'm able to do, which isn't nothing. I mean, I'm still producing I'm putting stuff out every week. It's just not each show gets out every week, you know, and the more I heal, the more I'm actually able to do, but I had to like, allow myself to be messy, to not keep to a predictable weekly schedule and to not demand unreasonable things of myself, you know? Mm And the people who pay me to do these things, they totally understood, you know, and this is the thing, like, I've always been afraid of what would happen if I say I need this, I need more time to produce these podcasts, I need these multifocal contacts, man, you know, Um, (laughs) and I've always been afraid that if I don't give everything and ask for nothing, that people will abandon me, they'll be like, well, fuck you then, you know, but the reality has been that is not my experience, you know, and the idea that I have a right to say, no, to say, this is what I can do. This is what I have. And I'm not going to try to give more than what I've got is like this revolutionary thing for me, you know? And I think that allowing things to be messy is in direct violation of that perfectionism, you know, that I, that I strive for, which of course we've all, you know, that when perfectionism is driving shame is riding shotgun, right? Brene Brown. I hear you, right. baby. Um, <laughs> you know, and I think that the fact that this messiness, you know, it makes me crazy it makes me twitch. It makes my back hurt, you know, (laughs) but I'm slowly (laughs) becoming more comfortable with it. And, and having the ability to say, I can't do this. Like every week, like, I can't do this. This is me mostly by myself. Like I can't do it, you know? Um, and, and having people respond with love and support and like, don't worry about it. Get it when you can, you know, um, that has been, like this, this completely revolutionary experience for me. And I feel like that's, that's pushing me in the right direction. So, um, so when she did this in the middle of like, and not even in the middle, it's not even neatly halfway through the book. It's like two thirds. Yeah. It's such a mess, you know? And, um, and she was like, yep, 
so the year of yes came and went and I'm still going like and that she didn't try to neaten it up that she didn't try to put it into some other context that would make it neater that she didn't go back and lie and say 18 months of year of yes you know or whatever mm-hmm. you know um I, I really loved that she did that that she allowed it to be messy and it, it made me feel more empowered in the messiness that I have recently been embracing you know? yeah it's great <laughs> so how did you like that part well mm-hmm. <laughs> you'll you'll be shocked to hear this word come out of my mouth mm-hmm. It gave me a framework. Oh, dude! <laughs> I love it. Right? So this was this is a framework for messy. I love it. This is a framework for for authenticity over polish. Oh, I right? love it. And it's so fantastic because a good theoretical framework mm-hmm. <laughs> has to be has to be a living, breathing thing. Mm-hmm. Right? Because otherwise, what are you doing except trying to prove your theory? Right? And then you're pushing on the data. Yes. On the data. But when you're open to the data and you're open to adjusting the framework as needed to actually reflect what's going on, Mm -hmm. that's when you start learning. Oh, my God. Right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, to see her do this, to me, was lifelong learning in motion. Mm -hmm. And it was fantastic because... She got to this point and it was like, oh, well, I could just wrap this up or in the book right, or whatever. Right, right. But real learning journeys don't work like that. Right. And <laughs> they don't happen on a timetable. No, yeah. they don't. And if you're engaged in real critical reflection, mm-hmm. you're, you're looking for patterns and themes. You're looking to see what have I learned as you're going along mm-hmm. and the learning then becomes more important than the timeline. Oh, God, I love that. And it's a beautiful thing. Yes. (laughs) So I was super excited to see her do that and just own it. It was great. Yeah. Um, And on page 206, she had this wonderful quote that just echoed back to me, um, all the way back to Brene Brown and Elizabeth Gilbert. Mm -hmm. And she said, I am only just beginning to understand that the very act of saying yes is not just life-changing, it is Mm life-saving. I now see two paths. A ragged, rocky one that goes up to the top of the mountain and a nice, easy one that heads down under it. I can fight to make the rocky climb, get a few bruises, risk getting hurt, and I can stand on the mountaintop and breathe the rare air in the warm sun, taking in the whole world before me. Or I can take the easy route underground. Oh, wow. Oh, it was so, That's so good. beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so it, br- it brought me back to Brene Brown with the idea of courage over comfort. Mm-hmm. Right. And it brought me back to driving the car with Elizabeth Gilbert with fear firmly locked down in the back seat. Mm-hmm. Because God, comfort is such an easy choice. Oh, I know. Right. <laughs> and, and never more than when you're rumbling and mm-hmm. reckoning with something. Mm-hmm. Comfort is just, it, it's the easy way out, it's what yeah. you want. But in the search for swagger, comfort is not a choice at all. Mm-hmm. And I'm choosing swagger and badassery and creativity and magic and love. Five points for my five star, y'all. <laughs> so to reference Doctor Who, Comfort and I have reached the parting of the ways. <laughs> right? Like we wish each other well, but but this is done. Yeah. And <laughs> so I just I really love the the metaphor for that from mm-hmm. her. Um, and on page two oh seven she said, I am a work in progress. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Hell yes, mm-hmm. so am I. Uh... <laughs> right. So Yes, a framework for messy, authenticity over polish, 
Courage over comfort. And I love it. Yeah. So what about the next chapter? Yes to no. Yes to difficult conversations. What did you take from that? Yeah. No, this was uh, this all kind of like wrapped up so well with everything that I've been going through. In the last. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's like a Rorschach test, right? You know, you read whatever <laughs> chapter and you see you in it, you know. Um, but she had this like this anecdote, right? Driving on the freeway before she was ready, you know. Mm-hmm. And like this is exactly the kind of thing that I would do and that I have done in a million different ways throughout my life. Like instead of questioning the people who are very clearly wrong because they're in a position of authority or whatever, I would always go along trusting that these people know better than I do, you know? And I like the fact that I have a little humility. You know, I like the fact that I don't think that I know everything, but I also have always thought that I know nothing and that is not true either. You know, sometimes I'm right, you know, and I never ever trust that I'm right. And on page 211, she had this thing. She said, and when I look back on it now, all I can think is, why did I let it happen? When the driver's ed instructor told me to turn onto the ramp that led to the freeway, why didn't I put my foot on the brake and put the car in park and look at him and say that one word that would have changed everything? That one word that might have kept the paintings from ever being at risk? One word. No. And that's what I come back to all the time. I mean, you've heard me say it over and over again. Why did I let this happen? You know? And I let it happen because I didn't trust myself or my instincts. I let it happen because I wasn't strong enough to say, this isn't good enough for me. I let it happen because I have always thought that other people have a stronger hold on reality than I do, which is not the case. Um, no. And I let it happen because I didn't think that I deserved for it not to happen to me. You know, I let it happen because I was afraid of what would happen if I didn't let it happen. And I think about all of the things that have happened in which I didn't speak up or advocate for myself or my daughters. You know, there was a construction guy who darted out in front of me on the sidewalk under the underpass on my way to work and told me to smile. And I didn't slap him and tell him, no, don't do this. There are young girls and they're going to be scared of you. I just gave him a look. I didn't smile at least, but I gave him a look and I kept walking. (laughs) I didn't say anything. You know, there was the creepy dog trainer that I told you all about earlier on a BSY episode, right? Who touched my daughters without their permission, like right in front of me. And I didn't say anything. Um, You know, I had a pediatrician um, who with, with my daughter, Sarah, she was young. She had like a digestive issue. And the pediatrician told me it was my fault because I wasn't feeding her properly. And hence put us both through, I swear to God, years years of trauma while this problem persisted did not get better and I kept trying to fix things about my parenting you know finally my mother-in-law insisted that I see a specialist I went to the specialist the specialist put Sarah on a medication and the problem resolved in eight weeks oh my god and this was years this problem she had had since she was a baby and when the doctor said it was my fault I believed her because I thought I was a bad mother so of course it's my fault But nothing I did made it any better, which just confirmed that I'm a bad mother, right? But the reality was, you need to see a specialist. The specialist got it done. And that could have happened, I mean, seriously, years before. But I believed that pediatrician. I didn't advocate. I didn't say, no, that's not good enough for me, you know? So for me, yes to no is a big deal. I mean, even if it is like a confusing concept, it's not yes to no exactly. It's it's yes to you. 
You know, it's yes to being right. It's yes to knowing yourself, knowing what's not right. And yes to speaking the fuck up about it, you know? And I am just learning this, you know, as I read this script with my wonderful contact lenses in that I advocated (laughs) for. (laughs) You know, I finally said no to this is good enough. And yes to I deserve better, you know? And in order to say yes to I deserve better, you got to say no to whoever is trying to give you less. And that is this huge revelation for me, you know, and I, I look back at all of those experiences and I regret so much, especially the one with the pediatrician that I didn't speak up, you know, that, that because I was so ready, if I, if it had just been my daughter, I would have spoken up. But the fact that it was, it was blamed on me, that the problem was me, that they told me the problem was my fault. I believed that I was so primed and ready to believe that it was my fault. And I can't even tell you how much trauma she went through physically, how much trauma I went through emotionally because of that shitty pediatrician. That is just inexcusable. I mean, I'm so sorry that happened to y'all, but it's terrible. God, That is awful. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you think? Well, I read this, the driving story kind of two ways. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I read it from the absolute terror and neglect that she suffered from her driving teacher. And I also read it with a little bit of humor because of my relationship to driving. <laughs> <laughs> so on page 209, she said, driving meant freedom. And I was like, oh, I'm raising my hand in solidarity. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So because for me, not being able to drive is torture. Oh, yeah. Like, I love driving. Yes. I love Mm -hmm. being in a moving vehicle, ground Mm -hmm. rolling under me, scenery flying past me, music rocking along to the rhythm of the road, Mm -hmm. right? I love driving. I'm also happy as a passenger if the driver is someone I trust and like talking to. Yes. (laughs) You know, and like since I was really young, I've had this fantasy of running away with a truck driver and spending all day in an (laughs) 18-wheeler. And like my version of this truck has a couch and a bookcase and great reading light. You can those up pretty nicely. Yeah, Yeah. right? Like I have always had had this idea, like traveling back and forth across the whole country and driving every coastal route and seeing nothing but oceans for week and mm-hmm. weeks at a time. And this, of course, is completely ridiculous, right. but dreams, y'all, sure. right? So, like, because driving always equaled freedom to me. When I broke my arm four years ago, yeah. I fell and shattered my elbow. I broke my arm in several places. It was an oh. unholy disaster. Yeah. I could not drive for almost a year. Oh, my God. So family members drove me to work. Friends had to drive if we went anywhere. And this was my own personal corner of hell. Oh, I can't even imagine. And that was, was before so Uber, too. Horrible. Yes. Oh. And we don't have Uber where I am because I'm too far away from St. Louis. Oh, no. It was hell. Because I am a woman with drive mm-hmm. and I am a woman who likes to drive. Yes. So like <laughs> being behind the wheel is fucking important to me. Sure. But when I was first learning to drive, I was terrible at it. And I mean, <laughs> terrible. So I, as now, as like an educator, I understand I have serious spatial learning Okay, issues. sure. So like to this day, I can't parallel park. A lot of people can't parallel park. Yeah, that but that's just one tiny example. Yeah. I can't read a map. Mm-hmm. I can't put things together. Like when my son was little, we would buy the toys that had tons of parts. <laughs> And, like, he would have to put them together because oh. I can't. Like, I seriously, I, That's I can't. That's a wonderful have... learning experience for him. Yes, it was. <laughs> um, but, um, 
when I was first learning to drive, I literally could not tell if my car was in my lane or if the person passing me in the opposite lane was going to hit me. Oh, wow. So, like, I would flinch and scream sure, like, on yeah. two-lane roads because I couldn't my like my brain in space just doesn't work that mm-hmm, way. Mm-hmm. So learning to drive was terrifying. Oh wow. And my parents didn't understand that I had spatial awareness issues and that was actually a cognitive problem adding to a spatial learning disability and so they were less than patient. Oh. Um but it took almost 3 years, maybe two and a half years mm-hmm. and several wrecks. Oh baby. <laughs> like for my brain and eyes and hand-eye coordination, which I don't have much of, mm-hmm. by the way, for those things to sync up so mm-hmm. that I could actually feel comfortable driving. Because in a lot of ways, if it's kinesthetic, I am a slow learner, uh-huh. you know. But that's okay because the plasticity of the brain is amazing and we have new synapses firing <laughs> as we build new neural pathways every day. Uh-huh. But, like, learning to drive felt impossible Mm-hmm. At first, yeah. and now it's one of my favorite things in the world. Oh my god! So I just kind of like latched onto that story with her, and then I wanted to go and find that driver's ed instructor and be his ass. Oh, that is just yeah. inexcusable. Yeah. To, to put a well, I mean, it that. seemed it seemed like an honest mistake. Like yeah, he but, really thought that she was somebody else, you know, and yeah, had the that's wrong a paper big in front mistake, of him. So yeah, that's a that's <laughs> like, a big mistake. Yeah, you got to yeah. be careful about that. But it um, wasn't, you know, it wasn't as like you know terrible as some other stories I've heard. You know, yeah, but yeah. But on, um, I marked the same quote as you on page yeah. 211 when she said, why did I let that happen? Mm-hmm. And she asked that question during, you know, kind of a funny story. Yeah. Um, and I circled it in the book and kept reading. Um, but then when I came back to it to write the show notes, mm-hmm. I typed the words and I had to put the book down. And then I had to walk away from the computer. Oh, God. And cold ran through me and I started shaking and my teeth started shivering. And I had to cry, oh, like honey. lay my head down on the dining room table, unable to breathe for a while, mm-hmm. because why did I let this happen? Yeah. Like echoes through me, you know, mm-hmm. that question haunts me. And there is no single regret in my life for which this question would not be both prologue and epilogue. <laughs> like, no, and I know how you feel about prologue and epilogue. But <laughs> in your matter. personal story, you can have whatever you want. <laughs> no matter what has happened, I carry the blame. Yeah. And so when I hurt, the first thing I do is try to figure out what I did wrong or what I did to cause it. Mm -hmm. This is from lifelong conditioning that started in the crib, and I don't know how to start doing it because I do believe in shouldering my responsibility. But sometimes I don't let things happen. Right. I mean, sometimes things just happen or they happen as a result of someone else's choices or things happen for reasons I don't understand. I'm not always driving. Mm Mm-hmm. But God, I'd rather be behind the wheel. Yeah, no, (laughs) I hear you. I mean, that's the thing. Like when it's my fault, I can fix it. Yes. So I am really, really like into that idea that it's always my fault. And a lot of times it's not my fault. And then I can't fix it. And I find that incredibly frustrating, you know. Or even when it is my fault and I can't fix it. Yeah. Oh, I just, powerlessness, right? Helplessness. Oh, right. I hate it. Um. But I really liked on page 211 when she said no is a powerful word. Uh-huh. To me, it's the single most powerful word in the English language. Said clearly enough, strongly, and with enough frequency and force, mm-hmm. it can alter the course of history. Yeah. And I thought, well, there's a whole lot of things I want to say yes to. Mm-hmm. But there are also things I need to say no to. Yeah. And that's a lot harder. It is. Right? It it's, is. It's harder. Yeah. Um. And she addressed this really well, I think, on page 217. Mm -hmm. She said, even though I've become a master of saying no at work, 
is different in my personal life. I'm great at taking care of other people. So why am I so bad at taking care of myself? <laughs> why am I so unwilling to show myself the same kindness and consideration, yeah. to cut myself the same slack, to give myself the same protection and care that I would give someone else? Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, hell. <laughs> like, yeah. Was she, did we have a conversation and I don't remember, like, does she know me? <laughs> have, have we met in a previous life? Because yeah. this to me was the mother of mm-hmm. all shitty first draft writing prompts. Mm-hmm. I mean, holy hell. My dissertation was 260 pages and I swear to all the gods, the SFD required to answer those questions would be longer. Right. Like, <laughs> like oh yeah. my God, I don't know. Because I am incredibly good at taking Mm -hmm. care of other people Mm -hmm. and incredibly bad at taking care of myself. I'm not in advocacy, though. I will advocate. Uh, My family calls me the bulldozer. Right. Because, like, I I will absolutely fight outside of certain situations. Mm -hmm. But in some areas, man, if I have to choose between taking care of you and taking care of me, I'm going to take care of you Mm -hmm. every time. And I don't know how to fix that yet. (laughs) It's on a the, process. It's on the swagger <laughs> list, right? Right. Um, and then on, on page 218, she was talking about kind of her having this this idea of having a goal, mm-hmm. right? And, and her real vision and yeah. sort of the amount of swagger that it takes to be honest about that. Right. Because your, your instinct is to shrink down. Mm-hmm. And she was having kind of a conversation like, what's your goal? I want to take over the world through television. And she said, I said it jokingly. But I was not joking. I was never joking. Mm -hmm. And that pulled me back to Elizabeth Gilbert's cry of, what do you want? (laughs) Like, that might be something else I need to tattoo on my body and look at every single day. Mm -hmm. Because I want to be a great writer. And I've said it jokingly, but I'm not joking either. Mm -hmm. You know? Well, you are. Well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Pause. Oh, God. Okay. I did it. And then the last thing I pulled out of this was on page 225. She said, freedom lies across the field of the difficult conversation. Um, And she started asking people, what did you mean by that? Mm -hmm. And I'm really good at tough conversations when family is not involved. Mm -hmm. Tough conversations with family, nightmare territory for me. Mm -hmm. You know, but I do in the search for clarity often ask people, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. You know, especially if we're texting, because if I can't hear the tone of your voice, I want to make sure I understand your yeah. meaning. Mm-hmm. Because clarity is holy, y'all. Mm-hmm. But I think that that question of what do you mean can help open a lot of doors and, and help not misunderstand each other. And it's really, really important. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Tools, tools for the toolbox. No, clarity. Absolutely. Number one. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so what about the, the last chapter we read? Yes to people. What did you make of this? Um, well, you know, actually, there's one thing still from this chapter that I actually oh, kind of like. No, 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 it's okay. Um, there was this thing where she said, bye, Felicia, right? Oh, <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I was like, okay, she, I hear all these people saying bye, Felicia, all the time, and I didn't know what it was. So I went and looked it up, right? <laughs> <laughs> so the phrase bye, Felicia came from the 1995 film Friday. Um, there's a scene in which Ice Cube's characters had enough of the character named Felicia, and he just says, bye, Felicia. <laughs> she just walks away. <laughs> And it has since become like a thing. RuPaul uses it in his reality series, Drag Race, which is something that I didn't know anything about until I went to this Wikipedia page. And now I need to watch that, obviously. (laughs) Obviously. Um, 
But when number two and I broke up, I got a lot of bye, Felicia, in my timeline. And I figured it out from context, you know. But it wasn't until right. I saw it in the book that I decided to, like, really look at it, you know, and figure out where it came from. And I mean, it's, it's basically the siren call of letting go of toxic people without any regret. You know, Mm -hmm. by Felicia is a way of saying you're not good for me. And I will not miss you when you are gone, you know, and I've traditionally had a very hard time saying bye, Felicia, because I still want to heal people to make them better, to help them get their redemption, to make them happy. You know, to make somebody who cannot be happy, happy is like (laughs) my life's goal. I've done it a lot and it's always failed, you know. Um, But I mean, the thing is, like, if these people are toxic and if they're hurting me, their redemption is not my responsibility. You know, their happiness is not my responsibility. And it never is, you know. But on page 224, she says, I tell the story to anyone who will listen. People keep trying to comfort me over the loss of a friend, but they don't get it. I did not lose a friend. I gained a second superpower. I can make stuff up and I can say no. And I thought that that was really, really great. And I like that ability to just say no this isn't good enough for me. You know, she says life is calm when you're willing to have difficult conversations, you know, and I'm interested in seeing how that works out for me. You know, I'm, I'm, you've got your family, like my family, I'm estranged from, you know, but the family, like those are the people who know what hurts you. They like know what buttons to hit to make you feel terrible and to make you concede to them, you know, Mm-hmm. And I can see why having that conversation with family can be so difficult, you know. Um, but the thing is, like, th- the toxic people are not really in my life anymore. You know, the people who are left are are good people, so far as I can tell right now. You know, I'm, I'm very, very <laughs> lucky right now. I'm surrounded by people who have been incredibly good to me. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if I get myself in that situation again, if I'm able to say, bye, Felicia, you know, as soon as I realize it. <laughs> Without a problem. Yeah. That's going to be really interesting. Absolutely. But, so what did you think about this? What did you think about the yes to people part? So for me, this was uh, such a beautiful speech yeah. and a powerful one. And I saw her kind of shift from clarity to purpose. Um, yeah. Kind of in the, the application of clarity, you mm-hmm. know, toward the purpose of her work. Yeah. And hearing her explain it was, was really amazing to me. Um, on page 230, she was sort of talking about this. Um, the fact that once you learn how to say yes, it doesn't always stay easy. Mm-hmm. And she said, I, I just felt like I had the whole thing under control. I was running like a gazelle toward the finish line. And then like any long race, the final lap got hard. Mm-hmm. I hit a wall. Turns out the beginning had been easy. The toughest part was to come. Yeah. And if there was ever a metaphor for my BSY experience, this is it yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because the learning curve has a deep valley in the middle and climbing up from novice to the other side of efficacy and expertise is a bitch. Yeah. And, and I really, really like the fact that she's real about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's making things explicit. She's making things visible. And that to me is, is the best form of sharing. Mm-hmm. And it requires a lot of courage to do it because we would never know. Right. You know, these things. She is pulling back the curtain and showing us how things work behind stage. And, and I just think it's remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when, when she sort of talked about this personal side of writing and then kind of connected this to this bigger picture, 
on page 233, she said, writing was for me like sitting down at a piano for the first time and realizing that I already knew how to play. Mm -hmm. Writing was my melody. Writing was who I was. Writing was me. And I feel this way too, but I have not been writing. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe this is because I don't have the clarity of purpose for my writing that Shonda does with hers, Mm -hmm. right? She has this overarching theme of you are not alone and it infiltrates everything that she writes. It drives her. Yeah. And I think like I never really thought about a purpose like that, like a thematic purpose to writing until she explained it that way. Mm Mm-hmm. On page 236, she said, I think that when you turn on the television and you see love from anyone, with anyone, to anyone, real love, a service has been done for you. Your heart has somehow been expanded. Your mind has somehow grown. Your soul has been opened a little more. You've experienced something. The very idea that love exists, that it is possible, that one can have a person, you are not alone. Mm -hmm. Hate diminishes, love expands. And this is why I say that stories are holy. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And then she kind of ended this the speech with the idea of gather your people. Yeah. Which I love. And on page 240, she said, your tribe of people, they are out there waiting for you. How do I know this for sure? Because mine are sitting at that table right over there. Yeah. And to me, like gather your people is a cry for love, to love, of love. Mm-hmm. This is how we make each other strong. This is how we help each other level up in badassery. This is how we walk together in search of swagger. Oh, yeah. You know? So I think, and in, and in a lot of ways, Big Strong Yes has done this with the community and yeah. the friends that I've made through the show and, and the people that are, are lifting each other up mm-hmm. in Discord and, you know, in Twitter and other ways. They gather your people. Yeah. It, it's a victory cry, and mm-hmm. I just loved it. Yeah. No, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. That's I thought really it was great. Cool. Yeah. I enjoyed all the reading this week. It was really good. It was really good. It was really good. It was really, okay. really good. All right. So that brings us to the homework. That brings us to homework. And this is kind of funny, like, because now, so y'all, if you're not, if you don't see, well, obviously you can't see our show notes. <laughs> Where it comes to, it says now, my yes, what's your action this week? And it says, Lonnie, Kelly's yes, Kelly, <laughs> Lonnie's yes, and neither one of us actually will write anything in here because this is like poker, y'all, and we're not showing our hand. Well, we so, make it up. I make it up during make it the up. show. I like, listen to you during the show, and then at the yes. end, I decide what it is that you're going to do. So do you want That's to hear right. what your homework is? I do. Okay. Your homework is to do some creative writing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to be use, it. Do you have anything specific in mind, oh, use, Professor? Use the sadness. Okay. Yeah. Well, yours is about writing too, but it's more specific. Oh, okay. What am I have to do? Okay. You've talked a lot about this wonderful How Story Works book. Yes. Right? And one of those chapters mm-hmm. is going to be about you being a story preacher. Mm-hmm. Right? It'll preach that kind of thing about that part of you and how you do it mm-hmm. and the gospel of story and all that cool stuff. Mm-hmm. I would like... Under the title of Story Hallelujah, <laughs> a starting draft. And it can be a shitty first draft. Okay. So you I want a like draft that. of that chapter? I do. Okay. Story Hallelujah, baby. All right. All right. I think it will be fantastic. All right. I'll do it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, that was easy. I'll yeah. Go. No, that was very simple. <laughs> 
All right, y'all, we are most active on Twitter. So follow hashtag BigStrongYes for announcements and discussion. You can follow Lonnie at Lonnie Diane Rich and me at Dr. Kelly Jones. You can also email us at bsy at chipperish.com. Yes, and if you like Big Strong Yes, here's how you can support the show. Review us on Apple Podcasts, tweet at us with the hashtag Big Strong Yes, and support Chipperish at patreon.com slash chipperish, which also gets you into the Discord chat, which is fantastic. That mm-hmm. stuff is going wild. There are so many people in there, and they're having fantastic discussions. So, I mean, for the Discord chat alone, it's worth a buck a month. You know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But each week we end with a closing quote. This week it's my turn. Our closing quote comes from Marge Piercy from her poem, A Strong Woman. Strength is not in her, but she enacts it as the wind fills a sail. What comforts her is others loving her equally for the strength and for the weakness from which it issues. Lightning from a cloud. Lightning stuns. In rain, the clouds disperse. Only the water of connection remains flowing through us. Strong is what we make each other. Big Strong Yes is a Chipperish Media production and is entirely funded by listeners like you. To find out how you can support Big Strong Yes and everything Chipperish Media does, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Thanks, y'all. <laughs>